Yeah, and I think at the same time, though, we really want to get to the root cause of the issue, right? So we don't want to be telling Nord stories that are so fluffy and they're yep. um, anecdotal and they're they're hard to, buy, to tie back to the business problem we're all solving for. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we've earned our street cred to say, we're going to help you still be able to humanize this and mm -hmm. talk about the root issues, but do it in a really authentic and compelling way that brings your yourself to life right. in the customer journey and buying cycle. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Janine Kernoff and Lee Lazarus. They are the co-founders of The Presentation Company and co-authors of a really cool book titled Everyday Business Storytelling, Create, Simplify, and Adapt a Visual Narrative for Any Audience. And in today's conversation from the archives of the Sales Enablement Podcast, we are talking about storytelling. Now, I loved reading Janine and Lee's book. They have really have simplified the process of creating and telling a great story, and it's such a beautiful, visually compelling book as well, which you'd expect given the subtitle of the book. So Janine and Lee take us through some of the basics of storytelling. They share the four signposts or elements of a story, the setting, characters, conflict, and resolution, and we explore each of those. We also dive into the details of their why, what, how story structure and why every single story needs a big idea. And I'm saying big idea in all caps. And we talk about the big stumbling block with storytelling and sales, which is who creates the stories that sellers need to tell. So we get into all this and much, much more. But before we get to Janine and Lee, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review, give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Janine and Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Hi, Andy. Hi. So this, Hi, is, this is a first for us, for me, and this show is, is over 920 episodes, first sister act. Uh, wow. Yeah. We're honored. We're yeah. honored. Yeah. Well, you, you guys, the, the first test is, can you tell us apart with our voices? Uh, try me. I'll close my eyes. <laughs> our parents still can't figure it out. So we'll see. We'll see by the end. You have to close your eyes, not look at us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. I mean, so how'd you guys manage to end up working together? Yeah, we were crazy enough, right? That's what you really wanted to say, right, Andy? We were crazy enough to start a business together 20 years ago. This is now back in 2001. Mm -hmm. Lee and I were both in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley where mm -hmm. we grew up and really just saw a void in the marketplace. I was at Yahoo, I was in sales training, and then later as an on-camera webcast host and Lee was in marketing with um, market research firms. And we just, we kind of saw the Frank index, uh, you know, we, we, we use like that say, term yeah. with love, right, right. <laughs> you know, these, these cobbled together presentations with no clear why, what, or how. And I think we just, the light bulb went off. I think we had that entrepreneurial bug and we realized, huh, not a lot of salespeople in particular are getting support and training and awareness around how do you communicate a story and how do mm -hmm. you do that ultimately visually in a way that is um, humanizing your your product, right. your solution, and creates a two-way dialogue. So we kind of knew early on, hmm, we're onto something. And, and uh, fast forward to today, we've been doing this for 20 years and we get to get to support some pretty amazing brands um, along the way. So it's been cr quite a ride, right, Lee? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Lee, <laughs> chime right in. <laughs> no hesitation. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's it's. So we're going to talk about this because this is this is as I mentioned before we started recording is this is a topic that's given a lot of ink in the sales world is storytelling and I think it's one of the least used tools uh, that sellers use and I thought we'd focus today more on less about the visual presentations but you know so many of the interactions that sellers have with with their buyers, uh, you know, just verbal. You know, there's no presentation taking place, and they need to be able to relate stories in a very effective manner. And it just doesn't come up. So so wanted to get into that because it's – and we'll want to run through the structure you guys create, which is very simple and a great way for people to remember how to do it. But then also talk about, okay, well, who's supposed to be creating these stories, right? Because this is, this is the nub of things when it comes to sales. So before we do that, though, I just want to talk about what was the impetus to write your book. A very interesting book, a very visually <laughs> entertaining book, I will say, to read called Everyday Business Storytelling Creates Simplify and Adapt a Visual Narrative for Any Audience. Um, it seems like you guys probably took a long time to put that together because it is such a, a incredibly visual book and incredibly well-designed. Thank you. I can answer that. I mean, I think the impetus was we saw a lot of talented people in their mm -hmm. career that didn't seem like they could really move it forward because they weren't able to influence the conversation. Mm -hmm. They weren't able to align to their buyer's needs. And there was just a, a ton of audience confusion. And as a result of that, their executive presence or lack thereof went out the window. Right. And opportunities to move business forward didn't happen. And we said that we've got to bottle up what we've been doing for many years with, fortunately, a lot of our Fortune 500 and 100 clients and start to share it with everyday folks, right? Everyone, no matter mm -hmm. if they're in a, a large enterprise company or they're in a small startup, how can they get their hands on these concepts and principles and apply them immediately? Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest problems, that, especially in the startup world, that they have is saying, well, how can I succinctly tell my story. I mean, even just from a brand perspective, right? What what do I do? If someone is to ask, you know, startup, what do you do, right? What do you sell? Yeah, in 40 plus years of working with startups, it's like, they're usually very bad at answering that question. And it always sort of defaults to jargon and product speak and so on, and nothing that really speaks to the buyer. Yeah. You know, when we, in the book, as you know, Everyday Business Storytelling, Andy, we introduce a very simple, repeatable, practical framework because we don't want a 10-step process. Salespeople mm -hmm. don't need a 10-step process, right? That's when they, they opt out and they say, forget it. So it's a really simple framework and it doesn't start with you right? It starts mm -hmm. with your audience. It starts with what's going on in their world. What do they care about? Who do they right. care about? What challenges are they facing? And I know that seems so simple to us as we talk here, but so many of us salespeople or, or, or really anyone in the business world, we get really excited to talk about ourselves. And salespeople are you know, notorious for this, right? They want to jump in and they want to talk about their solutions, their products, right? Because they're thinking, I don't have a lot of time. I got to get right to it. Mm -hmm. And we see this in all the emails. I mean, how many emails do you get a day, like bombarded? Oh, it's right. so annoying. Like they're, they're, they start with them. They don't start with the customer and their needs. And so I think that's the first step one is like, let's really walk in our audience's shoes and make sure we're clear about what matters to them. And mm -hmm. then from there, you can build a story with some simple signposts. Right. But you can actually 
lead with the story sometimes as well, though, right? I mean, this is absolutely. Uh, and and I think that's a really good distinction because our book, which we call Everyday Business Storytelling, is for people in business, again, whether working for a large company or, or really mm-hmm. on their own even, how do you how do you use storytelling in your everyday? And 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 I don't mean the TED Talks, because most of us right. aren't doing TED Talks every day. We're showing up no. to meetings and we're delivering, you know, updates and campaign updates or whatever. It's just not the sexy stuff as always, right? right? It's not the the high gloss. It's sometimes just the everyday, the email, the one pager, the three mm-hmm. slides that your boss needs. And so we wrote this book for everyday people in business that whether they have to get up and have a conversation and lead a conversation, but use a narrative structure to organize their ideas and maybe even their data and, or it's full fledged a presentation. So it's for us telling a personal story or sharing a story verbally is a fantastic way to integrate storytelling into your everyday business, but it's not the only way. And I think that's really important for us because I think a lot of us think storytelling is get up and tell a story. Well, it is. And I think that's the thing that holds sellers back is I think, okay, God, I've got to memorize these stories, right? <laughs> right. I've got to have this, this you know, repertoire of stories that, you know, for discovery, this is my discovery story. This is my quality. And it's like, yeah, that's why they don't get used because mm-hmm. they think it's something they have to memorize. I think they also end up kind of parroting the talk track, right? Which yeah. is a very dangerous place to be. And we don't want, you know, the the same playbook over and over again. And so I think this is a tool to be able to take all that sales methodology training that they've been exposed to and start to really humanize it and choreograph it in a way that brings out those key insights into a, a narrative format that anyone can do. And even if you are given all those great assets from sales enablement, you're still able to ultimately flex it, right? Uh-huh. Because it is, we always say storytelling is not a one size fits all. And I think oh. this is where we get into trouble as sales folks. And so what can we do to help them be able to flex that narrative depending on whatever scenario they face? Uh-huh. And that could be a situation around don't show up with any slides. You have thought you had 30 minutes, you now have five, mm-hmm. or you're walking into a room with diverse audience teams that have very competing, you know, desired outcomes right. of your solution. Yeah, no, I think that, that your the basic structure you, you laid out is, is one that, and we'll get into this, because I think it actually reflects something that a lot of sellers do sort of reflexively in terms of the way they sh- or the way they should say the way they should be looking at, at, at interacting with the, the prospect and don't and I think part of it is to the point you just made Lee which was that yeah it's it's harder these days because increasingly sellers are being forced and this is my opinion that not everyone in the world shares but is that are being forced to comply with a certain method this is the way we do it these are the stories we use these are the talk, talk tracks we use that don't reflect the strength of the individual, right, or the inclinations of the individual and how they might best relate to another person. And I think stories are a good way to, to demonstrate that individuality, to express your autonomy and, and express the best version of yourself in front of the prospect. 
Yeah. And I think at the same time though, we really want to get to the root cause of the issue, right? So we don't want to be telling Nord stories that are so fluffy and they're yep. um, anecdotal and they're, they're hard to, buy, to tie back to the business problem we're all solving for. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we've earned our street cred to say, we're going to help you still be able to humanize this and mm-hmm. talk about the root issues, but do it in a really authentic and compelling way that brings your yourself to life right. in the customer journey and buying cycle. Right. Well, so let's go through sort of your basic signposts. You talk about four signposts for creating a story. Um, either one of you can can lead with that. We've got setting characters, conflict resolution. This is you know storytelling format that's everyday entertainment we we consume is, right. is built around this format. So it's part of the reason it's so natural for us. It is. And that's what I love about it. Like I said, it's just really repeatable and practical. So yeah, four basic pillars, setting, characters, conflict, resolution. Do you know which signpost most salespeople start with, Andy? What do you think? Take a wild guess. Resolution. Yes. (laughs) I love that. We ask this question all the time when we deliver our trainings. We're like, where do you think most salespeople start? They're like, guilty, right? Why? We jump to the resolution because it's the kind of the solution, the product, and we don't give our audience a reason to care. So yeah, these, well, and these, I'll add another another yeah. reason to that is is this gets back to sales training is is the sales training. I think the difference between storytelling and and sort of run of the mill selling is the run of the mill selling these days, not these days, but pretty much forever. Sales training has been based on look, your job is to persuade somebody to buy your product. Thus, there's only really one solution possible, and so I'm going to use persuasion as a hammer to convince you that you need to buy this. So why not just skip to the resolution? Because there's only one resolution, that's it. Whereas instead, through storytelling, yeah. and, and my belief is, is <laughs> my next book will be all about this, is, is we're really trying to influence the choices and trade-offs that, that the customers make. And persuasion is not the tool to use for that. And so storytelling becomes a good way to approach it. I love yeah. everything you just said. I know. I, I was I was hoping you were going to say influence when you're like storytelling helps you influence the conversation. It's not right. pushing. It's, and, it's guiding. And align. Right. Mm-hmm. And align, right? And I think this is where Janine's going to go in a minute, but this concept of this big idea that ultimately does help you differentiate yourself from the competition, but it does it at a very strategic level. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I'm going to tag team on that, Lee, because sure. so we've got these four signposts, right, Andy? And it's in the book. We spell it out really simply. And, and to me, it's like giving people a common language. It's, it's letting them learn how to speak a new language, right? Mm-hmm. It's called story. And if we all talk the same language, especially as we work and collaborate with teams, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to put together narratives and iterate and collaborate with others. Mm-hmm. So we take those four signposts, but we kind of layer on because when you introduce conflict, which is the third signpost, and by the way, the first three can go in any order right. and they can be verbal, they can be visual. Um, when you introduce conflict in any narrative, it creates tension in the room right? Mm-hmm. The virtual room, the, the physical room or the phone, your audience, all of a sudden your customer's like, okay, hold the phone. You've just disrupted what I know to be true. You've just mm-hmm. killed my status quo, right? We say mm-hmm. conflict is a status right. quo killer, right. but that's actually a healthy thing. It's a good thing. It's a, it's a, an, an essential ingredient in storytelling, but with conflict comes discomfort, 
Mm-hmm. And so to get your audience from discomfort to, okay, I'm with you, I'm going to breathe right. again, right. we need what we call um, a mental bridge. And that right. bridge is your big idea. And we call it the what of your story, right. the one thing mm-hmm. that you want your audience to know or do. And then once you've got that big idea, home run, get into the resolution, roll out the red carpet, talk about your products and solution. Yeah. And this relates to sales so well, just as <laughs> hopefully you'll know, bear with us on this. Because you know, you think about the way I think about sales is sort of a simple gap analysis, right? Where are we today? What do we want to accomplish? Where do we want to be? What are the challenges standing in the way of getting from where we are to where we want to be? And how are we going to get there, right? So those that's context, characters, Conflict is the challenges, the internal barriers. The big idea is how we get there. The resolution is what's the value we're receiving from your solution. It just maps, right? And this is this is a, a conversation that yeah I talk about with sellers all the time. Is this is how you you approach this this question? Because the big idea, which is this bridge between let's say conflict and resolution, you call it one thing. And this is how I teach discovery to, to people: is that every customer always has one thing. You know, I, I say selling is about listening to understand what's the most important thing to the buyer and helping them get it. And the story becomes the story of how you help them get that right. So you have to identify that one thing if you're going to do a good job in discovery. So I think this—I love this just sort of simple layout, setting, characters conflict, bridge, resolution, that's how you should sell. And can I just add, sorry, Leah, I didn't mean to cut you off here, but a lot of times people think, all right, so I just need a big idea. I'll sit down and come up with some big idea. It's not that, it's no. not, you. there's a process to it. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you can't write your big idea or even come up with your big idea unless you're really clear on the conflict of your story. Yeah. And you get that conflict by digging in deep to find out what does your audience care about, what are they going through, what challenges. So they're very these signposts are very interconnected, mm-hmm. and I think that is a real unlock for people. Yeah, well, that's why it goes. I think it dovetails nicely with what I talk about. It's just there's always one thing, right? And your job is to find out what that most important thing is and help the buyer get that. Now, there's a process they go through that somewhat maps to some of the other things you talked about in the book. Is is and this is a problem with sellers, is they want to sell before they understand. And you can't tell a story that's going to resonate with the buyer if you don't truly understand what it is they're trying to achieve. Um, so this is a part of understanding, and to your point, about just digging deep, making sure you really have defined what the problem is the buyer is trying to solve, uh, and make sure you fully understand it. Then you can start crafting that story. I could not agree more. And I think this is why we always go back to let's really unpack the root cause, mm-hmm. right, of the issue. And then through storytelling, we're given the tools to frame it up in a compelling manner. Right. Right. We're connecting the dots. Because I think a lot of these methodologies, which are fabulous, and, and we you know partner with many clients that have already invested in those methodologies and then bring us in we're coming in to help frame up the conversation, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're the communication part now where really this becomes more of a, a seamless conversation that can be had with or without visuals, mm-hmm. but we avoid the derailment. We avoid the, you know, the getting off track and, and maybe some of the challenging questions because we've thought through the process from point A all the way to point C. 
Well, it brings up an interesting point because it's one that that you know I advocate for, which is that at heart, there's really just one story you need to be able to tell the buyer, and that's their story, right? And and I get a lot of pushback from other people who've written books about stories <laughs> when, I, when I say that. Um, because they're like, oh no, we've got seven different stories we're supposed to be able to tell, and it's like, not really. The buyer only cares about themselves. Um, so telling their story is the one I call the vision of success. They want to hear that vision of success story. Absolutely, and I think it takes a great salesperson to again step back, get in their audience's shoes, and stop thinking about the products right first, mm-hmm. and start thinking about again what is this gap in right. knowledge that I need to solve for. What do I have to serve up and what do I need to humanize, right? Because if we're going to come across like we're parroting things, that's that's not going to be, um, you know, as valuable to somebody as right. somebody that's really thought through this process. So again, that's where if you've taken the time and you've got the tools in your toolkit to be able to bring this to life, both verbally and visually, it's it's like this magic bullet that people can have in their back pocket. Well, let's let's talk about this and see what, tell us what you're your clients are doing is, as we sort of addressed this a little bit earlier. So who creates these stories? You know, right? Today, in today's sales environment, you know, basically everything's sort of handed to the sellers. Right? They've got talk tracks. They've got scripted questions to ask. You know, got all this content they can provide, which, you know, they provide without context. So I believe most of it has limited value. Who's, who's responsible for creating stories? I mean, I think what we're seeing is, yes, the, you know, the templates, the collateral, uh, maybe some of the scripted emails, you know, are not necessarily, you know, starting with, with the sales folks, right? They're, they're handed that information, mm-hmm. but based on the executive leadership teams that we're partnering with, they want still these sales folks to own the conversations, right? Sure. And in order to do that, they need to understand these fundamentals of storytelling and they need to start, um, taking the time to have those even internal planning discussions. I I think that everyone works in silos so much that it's it's become a bit of a deficit to us. And what we're doing with this particular framework is we're creating this common language. We're creating, we're allowing for an iterative process to happen Mm -hmm. and a safe paced place to be having these dialogues with your management internally to say, do you think I have the big idea correct? before I get into front of that customer? Do you think that I've identified the conflict mm-hmm. accurately? And though that freedom, that permission to start mm-hmm. having those active dialogues has kind of been game changing for many, many of our clients um, that are now reporting back to us and always have, but they're, they're, they're glowing in the fact that they got in front of that key influencer, they made a huge impression in front of them, and they've been invited back for more time. Mm-hmm. Well, who doesn't love that, right? Sure. What was coming to mind for me was this idea that, you know, storytelling isn't a one size fits all. Right. And so when you get these playbooks and these templates or these scripts, that's awesome as a starting point. I think salespeople need to feel empowered to ultimately own the story, right? Mm-hmm. Because every time you get in front of that audience, that customer, the story may change a little because time has passed. Things have transpired. Developments have been made. And so I think that's where arming folks with that framework, that common language, and that that sort of empowerment to say, look, you ultimately are the storyteller here, right? You're going to be armed with something to get started 
whether you're making a recommendation or an update, but ultimately you own it. You're the storyteller. And so to give them that, that ownership is key. I don't think a lot of salespe- salespeople innately feel that because it's sort of like, here you go, here's the talk track, go. Yeah. And that's where I get back to this idea of the story you're telling is, is the buyer's story, right? It's, yeah. Instead of getting Correct. sidetracked and thinking, look, all my stories are sort of you know, quasi case studies or some form of social proof is, is I've always experienced over you know, decades is that that story that people want to hear, like I said before, is they want to hear their own story. What's it going to look like when we succeed at this, right? What's our journey look like to get there? And what's that going to feel like? Um, I always remember this, this quote from uh, John Steinbeck, um, read a eons ago, but it, the quote is, you know, if a story is not about the hearer, he will not listen. A great lasting story is about everyone or will not last. The strange and foreign is not interesting, only the deeply personal and familiar. And I found so much power in that because, and there's research that's been done about this with uh, Forrester did a study a number of years ago saying that, you know, if you're the seller that, that gets the buyer to buy into your vision of success, your odds of winning the deal stand at 65%. Mm-hmm. That's pretty significant, right? Mm-hmm. And so... It's like, why wouldn't you focus on building the story that the buyer can identify with that's their success? Because then that is a compelling event to get them to make a decision. Absolutely. Okay. So I liked your your uh, idea about your sound bites for big ideas. Because it, it's, it got back to that first thing we talked about is companies just doing a bad job of messaging, right? That, I've always had this belief you can tell your story in five words or less. <laughs> uh, yeah. And not only say what you do, but the benefit that somebody gets from it. And we ran, I ran a contest last year on LinkedIn where I asked people to come in and tell me what they sold in five words or less using that framework. And we had hundreds of entries around, around the world, but you know the people who got it really got it, right? It was no, no buzz speak. Uh, and I found that that's just, that's sort of, sorry, I guess the storytelling for me in its simplest form is that, is everyday sellers get asked, what do you do? And they don't know how to answer it. I think you just hit on something. It's just using everyday language. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the first thing. And I mean, it seems so intuitive to, to, to us here in this conversation, but I can't tell you how many times, because we, we deliver workshops, right? So mm-hmm. people struggle to write their big idea. They come up with all the jargon. Right. They can't help but talk about themselves. And mm-hmm. a big idea is designed to be just that big, right. visionary, right. inspiring, right. Um, a preview, not not the, the meat and potatoes. It's not the movie. It's the trailer. Mm-hmm. What you were talking about also is a soundbite option, which right. we really we, re, we really subscribe to. And the idea is it can't be forced. Mm-hmm. But if you just had to step away, not look at anything, and just in your in your true heart and gut, how would you express your big idea? That's the that's the soundbite option. That it's very almost casual, yep. colloquial, but not slang, and right. very conversational. It's what you're going to leave them with as you walk out the room, and it's just this resonating big message. So it takes practice. I'm not going to lie. Um, a lot of times when you sit down to write your big idea or your soundbite version of the mm-hmm. big idea. 
it, it takes some iteration and some people are really good at it. Yeah. And that's what I love about the collaboration piece that happens. If mm-hmm. you have a culture of storytelling mm-hmm. in organizations, because all of a sudden it's like, Hey Andy, can I get five minutes? I need to vet. I need, I need to just, I've got a big idea, but I don't know. What do you think? And then we're riffing and then we're talking and all of a sudden you've just reframed my big idea in a way that's like way better than I could have come up with mm-hmm. because we're talking the same language. And right. It happens. It happens naturally and sort of natural born storytellers emerge in this process where they almost start to coach and create a mentorship with each other because Mm -hmm. of this like sort of iterative process that is the magic of storytelling in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see that. I mean, it's, it's, I've worked with companies where we've, again, using sort of this five word format as we... We just use that as a starting point, really, is mm-hmm. if you can express that idea that succinctly where the customer sort of intuitively understands it without further explanation, then that's a great door opener, right? That opens the door to further conversation, more storytelling, and so on. But it's amazing just how a bad job most companies do and most sellers, to your point earlier, is, is hey, I'm going to make a cold call to somebody and, and they're going to say, what do you do? And you'll get... 30 seconds back of jargon. Jargon, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the the worst culprit is the emails. That's where it really mm-hmm. starts to get out of control. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we've taken our whole storytelling approach and applied it to a storytelling, uh, an email lens. And right. it's, it's night and day, the results of getting through somebody's inbox and filter Mm-hmm. When you have it crafted through the lens of a narrative versus let me just open up the headline with my resolution and do you have time for a 30-minute meeting? Yeah. Well, let's get into that because in in the book, when you go through that section of the email, I mean, it seemed almost a little counterintuitive to me because the headline, which to me I sort of take as almost like a subject line, but, you know, first thing people see, you know, most thing, time people these days are saying is make that short and succinct, right? Mm-hmm. Sweet. And, and you weren't, right? You were sort of not necessarily the opposite, but you were, they were fairly good sized lines. Um, so talk about that. Yeah, I think this whole idea of brevity, right? We've all been trained, even when you look at slides, right? We've been trained short titles, right? Mm -hmm. And so we come up with these really vague, what we call headings, not Mm -hmm. headlines. You know, so we say update or agenda. It's like, okay, what do I, like, tell me more, uh, right? right? right. And we do that in emails. We say meeting update. Well, what meeting? What do I need to know or do? Because you are one of a gazillion emails flooding my inbox. So how can I quickly scan your subject line? It's really important. And that subject line needs to be audience centric, Mm -hmm. not salesperson centric, right? It can't be what you need. It has to be what they need. Right. And we are literally uh, students of our own uh, practice here, truly. I mean, every day we're all sending and receiving emails. Do a self-reflection, which ones are getting heard. And there's there's some real insight around this, around walking in their shoes, making it about them. And so the brevity thing is, it's a bit of a controversy, right? It's like, wait, you're telling me to make my emails longer? You're telling me to have a longer subject line? Yes, we are, because context is king. Mm-hmm. And if you can give your audience context for why they should open this up mm-hmm. and what you need them to know and do very quickly so that they can scan it quickly... There you go. And that may mean a sentence longer or two or a word longer or two. But how many of us get emails where you're like, I have no idea what this is in reference to. 
this is not top of mind for me. I don't remember the meeting because it's not on my radar, Mm -hmm. but now you need something from me and you're not being clear about what you need and when you need it and why I need to stop everything to give you X, Y, Z. Like it's so, it seems so simple as we talk about it, but people wonder, God, I didn't get another, I didn't get a response. So they hit you up again with another horrible email (laughs) and we got to stop the madness, right? Like start with a why, have a clear why, what, get to the how latest in your email. Right. Well, I mean, you, when you're giving examples in the book, I mean, you're talking about even moving the big idea up. Yep. In the subject line. Yeah. Is that, you know, make sure that people see this sooner. I mean, you may not even get through the, the why and the what, you know, how may be there first. I mean, your subject line is, is, is essentially the reason they open your email or not, right? Mm-hmm. Cause they're scanning it amongst others. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you, I, when I write emails, I never hit send right away. I take a minute, not every email. Come on. I mean, there's some where I'm like writing to Lee, you know, I'm like, hello, I'm not going to overthink this. I like just right. need a quick <laughs> response, but like high stake emails where it matters, the person mm-hmm. on the other end, it matters. Are they going to open it? I always proofread. I always check and see, do I have those four signposts? Do I have a big idea? Is it clear? Is it, is there too much, you know, what can I pull back on? What is missing? And even the subject line, I might iterate on that a couple Mm -hmm. of times just to make it just right. You know, there's just, there's, the stakes are high when you need a response. You want your client to respond. Right. So, I mean, you talk about, you know, these four signposts, settings, characters, conflict, so what you're saying is even in an email, you're going yes. to make sure you bring these out, right? So give us an example how that what that might look like. I know you've got a number in the book, but... Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing, Andy, is that we're not talking about telling a story in an email, like get right. up and, you know, record yourself, right? right. <laughs> so that's why, like, that's why storytelling does show up in a variety of ways. And sometimes it shows up in a format where there are no people talking. Mm-hmm. It's text. It's a very mm-hmm. text environment. Um, so yeah, big ideas in the subject line. The first sentence has got a hit on the setting and the characters. Mm-hmm. When we talk about characters in an email, we're not talking about, you know, meet Joe or Alex or Maria, right? That might feel really awkward, really forced. (laughs) The recipient's going to be like, "Um, weirdo, I'm going to throw this one out, right? So when we talk about setting and characters, the characters of that story, you know, are essentially unnamed, right? It's it's your team, your customers, you know, who you care about. So they're sort of in reference and context. Um, but I need to know in the first sentence or two, like the context so that I'm like nodding my head going, okay, got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Then we move into conflict. Like, why should I care? So what is it about this email that I need to take action? And then we're big believers and hit them with that big idea again. They right. read your subject line. I would have a variation of that big idea in bold or highlighted so that right. again, what's the one thing? Cause I'm not going to remember everything. Mm-hmm. What do you need to, uh, what do you need from me? And then the resolution is what most of us are used to writing in emails. It's the bullet points. It's the detail. Like I need you to do this and open this file and save it here. And I need your feedback by this date. Like that's the meat bulkier part of that email. And then you're out. And so, you know, in the book, yeah, we're big fans of before and afters because I think people need to see Mm -hmm. examples, not just here. And so, yeah, I would encourage everyone to check out our book, Everyday Business Storytelling. There's a whole chapter on email where you can see a bad email transformed into an email that actually is going to get heard. Right. Well, I think, too, in the resolution, I mean, is you have to be very certain that there's something in there for 
Yeah, it could be the big idea. It could be something in the resolution. The big idea leads to a certain value takeaway. But yeah, I'm a big proponent that you have to think about the fact that anytime you're consuming some of the buyer's time, whether it's an email, a phone call, whatever, is they have to get an ROI on that time. Mm-hmm. So that ROI is in the form of, as a result of having invested time in you, I'm now you know, some measure closer to making a decision than I was before. And that's that's then a good use of my time. And if there's too many bad uses of my time, you stop getting the time. And this is the thing I think sellers have a hard time connecting with is that all these little things matter. We talk about formatting these emails and being and sort of a story structure as you laid out. Well, if it helps the buyer get something value out of that, then pay attention to it. Right. And that goes back constantly to how are we aligning to the buyer's needs and care abouts, mm-hmm. right? How are, we, how are we framing them up beyond all the technical talk or methodologies? And how are we starting to boil it down to what do you need me to know? And what do you need me to do with this information mm-hmm. in a way that is uh, natural and unpacking truly the pain points that you've identified can resolve you know, their, their troubles, um, in, in, again, in a very authentic way and non-forced way. I think the other thing that we're seeing come up a lot is how this approach that we're introducing mm-hmm. again, can, can, tr- um, transcribe to other formats. I mean, video, right. has become sure. such a big trend right now. And you see sellers sometimes inserting little videos of, of, sure. you know, introductions. Yeah, um, Absolutely. Right. And if they were layering on this setting character conflict, big idea and resolution, do you know how much more powerful those little 30 second videos would be versus, right? Yeah. So uh, I think what we just keep coming back to is so much has evolved, especially over the last year and a half with digital selling, virtual selling, um, and the way we show up and the presence we have if it's grounded with some of these principles that we've introduced in the book, I think people have a real fighting chance to, to make an impact, right? Even if they're not the most seasoned salespeople on the, sure. on the block. Well, absolutely. I, I think the critical point you brought up, and I stress over and over and over on the show, is that sellers have forever been guided by their, their process, which is not aligned with the buyer's process. And so the messaging then, naturally, as a seller, tends to flow along with your process, not the buyer's. You know, so you look at a typical sales process. It's you know, first call, maybe discovery, demo, more discovery, qualification, presentation, proposal. Well, the buyer doesn't think that way. They're going, right. I'm going to define my problem. I'm going to evaluate the alternatives that are out in the market. I'm going to uh, formulate some options for solving my problem, I'm going to choose how I want to solve my problem, which sort of aligns a little bit with your how, and then I'm going to choose who I want to solve it with. And your storytelling should be supporting their journey through that, not, hmm, how do I get them to qualification stage? Which unfortunately is the way it mostly works. 
Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of these folks that, again, have invested in these methodologies are starting to really value kind of this one-two punch of Mm -hmm. let's take the methodology, but let's package it up with some storytelling fundamentals and even some visualization concepts, right? right? Because if I'm going to weave data into my story, then number one, where does that data live? Right. And then how do I unpack that data in a way that it's digestible and consumable and isn't just fire hosing my audience because I am on a mission to get all these facts out in the first three minutes to make an impression of why, again, my solution is more valuable. Right. So if we look back at, again, the, the approach that we introduce in the book, this is about, yes, understand where the insights live and let's choreograph them in the right stages of telling a narrative, but let's also find out where that data, that supporting evidence goes and those mm-hmm. insights so that we, we don't just um, overwhelm our audience too quickly. Yeah, I mean, yes. As salespeople, we all suffer from the <laughs> from overtelling, <laughs> oversharing, <laughs> and it's an urge we have to to fight against. But absolutely, I mean, if you have this context of a of a story structure to follow, then hopefully that would you know minim- mitigate that to some degree. I think also when when we think back to the support that salespeople get from marketing, for example, or sales enablement teams, they are given a lot of really great data, right? And all these juicy insights. And it is hard to figure out how do I present that in a way that isn't going to overwhelm, as you say, Lee, the audience. And and I think that just kind of comes back to, again, you're the storyteller. You get to decide how the story is going to unfold. And if you are, are sort of aligning to those pillars of storytelling, right? You've got your four signposts, you've got a big idea. That's when you're like, all right, I'm going to bring in some insights and data here. I'm going to bring in, I'm going to bolster the conflict because I need to back that up with some data. I mm-hmm. really want to drive that home. And, and, but it's done in a way that's sort of grounded in a narrative, um, mm-hmm. And so you're sort of taking the story, but wrapping it in data. And that's like, that's the magic, you know? And there's an interesting stat that says like, we're 22 times more likely if we take our facts and wrap it in a story. Well, it's like, hello, you get to have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. So data is good, but it needs to be wrapped in a story. Otherwise it's it's going to be a data dump. And that's what we see a lot of folks doing. And then right. they're like, why didn't, why didn't my presentation go well? Why didn't my conversation go well? I had all my data. It's like, hmm, did you frame it up? in a narrative or did you just hit them with a lot of metrics? We're right. human at the end of the day, right? We, we can't remember all the facts. It's, it's a lot. Right. Well, it gets back to the, the point that I made before. And this is, yeah, I think for storytelling to become really effective is there's other behavior sellers have to, to learn first, which is this idea of what I call understanding is what sellers want to do because they're so scripted these days and for the most part, is they see themselves as collectors of information, and they say, oh, I've got all this information, but they don't understand, right? And there's a huge gap there between knowing and understanding. And to be able to tell an effective story, you really have to understand, because the data, absent understanding, is meaningless to the buyer. And so for the people listening to this, it's like, that is a really important step you have to make sure you, you get to, is it's, Digging deep, as you said earlier, Janine, make sure you really understand, because otherwise, story the customers gonna hear the story and go, well, "That's hmm, that's not us." Yeah, and I think the fact that everybody does have so many assets at their disposal, right? I mean, again, whatever sales enablement or marketing is providing you, and this is—I'll just say one thing. This is where 
if the best comp or the most successful companies we're seeing have this common language, right? Mm-hmm. The, the sales enablement marketing to sales, everybody's talking the same language right. and they're producing content that is that connector, right? right? So by the time it gets to the field sales, they, they've got stuff that really speaks to them and they don't have to work hard to decode it because they've been trained on the same methodology as the folks that were creating the content. But what I heard you say and what we see a lot is that just because you're given all these great assets doesn't mean it's magically going to tell a great story on its own two feet. Mm-hmm. You still have to have the mindfulness. You still have to have that kind of decode lens that you put on things Mm -hmm. to ask yourself what is missing or what needs to shift for my particular buyer to influence that decision-making process. But if you are set up for success with the right tools from the beginning, well, then we're certainly going to have a lot more efficiency and and productivity, right? Which is everybody's goal in, in this. Yeah. Well, that gets back to, I think, to what I was talking about earlier with, with, yeah, my, vision of story is, yeah, I want to tell this, what I call the vision of success, is I build that story with the buyer, right? It's, it's a story that evolves to a point you need made earlier because the buyer is evolving as they're going through the buying process. So it's not, you know, I need 20 stories or it's not like it's a finished story day one is, is part of their process is building a story. Yeah. We call it story building sometimes, not storytelling. Storytelling is right. part two, right? Yeah. Story building is actually harder and it takes time. It takes discovery. It takes putting that detective hat on and really digging in to understand what your audience cares about. And then you got to build the story. The last piece is telling it, but we use the word storytelling as if it's like magically going to appear the story, right? There's some work to be done to uncover that story. Yeah. It was making me think as I was reading the book is like, okay, so what's, what's, what's worse or what's better? You know, a mediocre story well told or a better story told poorly? <laughs> well, you know, that's interesting because a lot of folks that show up in our workshops, because we do a lot of, you know, sort of team training, a lot of folks will say, you know, I am not a seasoned presenter. I don't even like getting up in front of an audience. I mean, just separate from salespeople sure. for a second. Okay. So sure. like engineers, technical folks, we yep. get a lot of them in our trainings as well. And they're like, eh, this isn't for me. In fact, they show up and they're like, they, you can already tell they've, they've been triggered. They're like, I'm in a right. storytelling training. What is going on? Like, I shouldn't be here. This is not me. And yet it's those, those technical folks that are getting a seat at the table with senior leaders. They need to be able to distill the information in everyday language to senior folks because they, they, you know, they have that insight. They have the expertise. They're the ones that need it more than anyone in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just interesting how they typically kind of opt out and they're like, I don't need this. I'm not a Hollywood scriptwriter. Like I'm not in marketing. I'm not right. a salesperson. I don't need this. And it, we see the transformation happen where you get like a very shy or insecure speaker, presenter, Mm -hmm. but they apply the framework, they work on their headlines and those headlines, which are really tied to your signposts, all of a sudden they're, they're they're sort of creating this narrative flow that they worked hard on offline, not in front of their customer, not in front of their audience, but offline and saying, if I just had to tell this story right now with no slides, would I have flow? Am I passing the baton from my setting to my characters, to my conflict, big idea and resolution? If I can say yes to that, all of a sudden, it's like the light bulb goes off and these folks that maybe 
were not maybe as confident speakers, presenters, they, they all of a sudden shine because the narrative now becomes in the spotlight, not them as the speaker, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's really exciting to see that behavior change. Well, I think that goes, what goes along with that is, is understanding the mission behind the story, right? So, yeah, yeah I've sort of made a career out of converting engineers into sellers, and they said, well, I can't sell. And I said, oh, it's good because that's not the job. You know, <laughs> the job is to solve problems. Oh, well, I can do that. That's what I do. Yeah. Perfect. So now if we tell stories in the context of solving problems, it becomes easier for them. Absolutely. And it just creates more authenticity, right? And ultimately, people want to do business with people they, they care about and like, right? And so, well, as you so. said, yeah. And, and, and just all of those little touch points along the way with that buyer, you're showing up authentically, you're showing up with a story and mm-hmm. it's just, whether it's an email, it's a conversation, it's, Hey, let me send over two slides or a playbook or whatever it is. Right. You, you start to build this sort of overarching experience that says, yeah. you know, I'm a real human. I'm going to humanize the story I want to tell. And I'm going to help you understand your challenges and how we can solution those. And just ultimately kind of creating more of a two-way dialogue, which I think mm-hmm. It can be very scary for a lot of us, but it's so empowering and storytelling can help you create that two way and really meet your audience um, where they're at, not where you think they're at, but really where they're at. Great. All right. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but um, it's fantastic. We'll have to be back. We'll talk more about the book and and, uh, building stories. So if people want to learn more about what you're doing or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Lee, I'll let you take that one. (laughs) She's the big sis. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Uh, They should definitely go to our website, Mm presentation-company.com, and they can access information about all our workshops. And actually just this week, we went live with an open enrollment, on-demand, self-paced version of the book, essentially. Nice. So folks, folks can actually get a hold of all these concepts that we've just talked about today and take them individually. Very nice. All right. Yeah. And I presume you're on LinkedIn as well. Absolutely. We're on LinkedIn, our book, Everyday Business Storytelling is on Amazon. So we are out there in the world. You can find us. You can also go to everydaybusinessstorytelling.com to find more about our book. Okay. Thank well, you, Andy. I said earlier, it's a very well-designed book, easy to Thank consume. Thank you. Encourage people to, to pick it up and uh, we'll look forward to talking again. Thank you so much. We would love that. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests, Janine Kernoff and Lee Lazarus, for sharing their expertise with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.